Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Those of you who pay attention to such things may have at one time or another figured out that on the calendar, the 40 days of Lent are more like 46. The reason why we count Lent as 40 days is because every Sunday is considered a feast of the resurrection or what is sometimes called a little Easter. It's why those holy folks who give something up for Lent are always delighted on Saturday nights. Know that in the morning they can eat and drink whatever they want because Sundays in Lent don't count. If you've never heard of that before, yes, sometimes the church can be a little strange. Today's readings seem to take the little Easter theme a step further, offering us in the readings from the book of Ezekiel and John's gospel something akin to a little Holy Week. Dry bones reanimated back to life, Lazarus rising from the dead, death conquered by the powers of love and life. It's the journey from Good Friday to Easter Day wrapped up in two readings. At first it may seem odd, a kind of choice to be made by the lectionary. That's the three-year cyclical calendar of readings we read every Sunday. Yet the gift of these particular readings as we approach Palm Sunday and the journey through Holy Week proper is that it allows us to dwell on the realities of death and dying more than we might otherwise be inclined to. After all, the context of the good news of Easter is the harder news that we live in a world of suffering and death context worth lingering with because we can so often get suffering and God wrong. What might we see then when we pause with Ezekiel? Can we imagine him recoiling at the mound of bones presented to him by the hand of God? What might we feel with him as he looks on at the remains of his people, victims of the power of Babylon and their invading armies. What might we see if we pause with Martha and Mary? Might we garner a sense of their stillness, the grief so singularly felt for Lazarus? And how do we start to see Jesus differently when he see him rocked, by deep sadness and loss. All of this pausing and pondering with ancient biblical texts becomes especially fruitful when through them we can feel something of our own griefs and losses. It's probably true that in our modern society we spend far too many resources trying to evade death and not nearly enough time contemplating its inevitability. How much have you been able to think about what it might mean to walk through death's dark valley, I wonder? With the privilege of having this vocation, I've had quite a lot of opportunity to walk with others as they have approached their own final days or have contemplated the loss of loved ones. I can't really remember what happened the first time 
I went to someone's house to care for them after someone had died. I've no idea what I said, but I'm sure I felt more than a little out of my depth. In my first week of ordained life in the church I was serving, we had three funerals. As a trainee, what the Church of England calls a curate, I observed the first, assisted with the second, and by the third, my training priest said that I was good to go. Since then, I've had the sacred privilege of being allowed into people's lives at those most precious moments, many times over. A couple of decades on, and that sense of privilege remains. Sometimes the grief wells up, and I find that I'm the one needing a moment to compose myself. Other times, I marvel at the care and skill of colleagues like Jenny McBride in her care for one of our families here just a couple of weeks ago. There have been hospital visits when I have got back to my car, broken down and wept. And there have been occasions when other people's courage and dignity in the face of their own death has been profoundly humbling. In all of it, death has been a tender teacher And although I had never seen it as I prepared for ordained life, walking the mourner's path has been one of the most grounding and deepening elements of my ministry. And in spite of all the people that I have encountered this way, it was only recently with a parishioner here at All Saints that I saw something of the profound gift that dying with others can bring. This particular gentleman had been diagnosed with a terminal cancer. He had fought valiantly to hold off, even traveling out of state for some groundbreaking treatment. For months, we had tracked with one another, mostly on the phone, sometimes in person. He was a quiet and humble man and was someone who valued the privacy and peace of his home. Yet when it became clear to him that there was nothing more that could be done for him, he took the step of inviting a small number of people to walk his last weeks with him. I was honored to be among them. The time that followed was punctuated by what John's gospel would call grace upon grace. To step over the threshold of his home felt like entering a very thin place. Everything slowed. There was a warmth, a glow almost, especially when you walked into his bedroom. I think in many ways he held us in communion there, holding hands, praying, offering simple I love yous. Each of us was invited into a holy kind of solidarity, the kind that binds you to another human being in ways that remain discoverable well after they have gone on to glory. I imagine you have gone on your own sacred journeys with others, that in your own way you have known that privilege in your life. So perhaps the gifts of these readings are that they offer up an opening to dwell in those memories a little longer as we prepare our hearts for the cross and Jesus' death. Praying 
through our memories can be a healing thing all in itself. And it can also help us to reshape some of the less helpful theologies we can end up walking around with about death, but don't tend to notice until something hard happens. I'll offer you what I believe. Suffering and death are not tests of faith. They are not punishments for our wrongdoings. They are not necessary sacrifices or atonements in any way. They are simply part of this present reality until this life melts away into the life to come. What's more, the extraordinary good news these readings lift up for us today is that suffering and grief are not experiences that we are intended to have apart from a perfect and unmoved God, but rather they are part of the nature of the God who is intimate with our suffering through God's own suffering in Jesus. As the great German theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes, as we look to the crucified God, we see a God who is in utter solidarity with us. Indeed, for Maltman, drawing on the Judaic understanding of the solidarity of God with God's covenantal people, especially in the aftermath of the Holocaust, the only God who can faithfully be proclaimed is the God whose being is in utter solidarity with the people who endure suffering. As Maltman writes, to speak here of a God who could not suffer would make God a demon. To speak here of an absolute God would make God an annihilating nothingness. To speak here of an, an indifferent God would condemn us to an indifference. Mortal, can these bones live? The Lord God asks the prophet Ezekiel. Oh Lord God, you know, is the prophet's reply. We are not alone, even and especially in death's dark valley. And we know the good news. These bones will live. For the God who weeps with you will raise them up. Amen.